Go to Luke chapter 2. It's probably, probably would have been a guess where we would be today, right? Go, go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be there in a second. I want to think back to a character in the Old Testament that maybe, uh, maybe you're really familiar with. If you're not, that's okay. There's this guy in the Old Testament named Moses. And uh, it's easy for Moses to maybe be somebody that you don't think is super relatable, right? Like, maybe you've never said, I feel a lot like Moses. And that's okay if you haven't. Probably you don't know anyone named Moses. At least I don't. Maybe you do. That's great for you. Your name probably is Moses. I haven't met anyone here named Moses before. And maybe this guy feels relatable. But, but just to make sure that you, you get where this guy is, there's a guy named Moses. And, and think about his context for a second. There's a guy whose career... Based on his royal upbringing, his career has been tanked completely. That's something we can, we can relate with somebody who goes through something like this. This guy has made some really bad decisions. So I can say, okay, I can relate there. This guy uh, has lost his family. He's lost his friends. Uh, Moses has lost his home. Moses is feeling really hopeless and lonely. He finds himself in uh, just this place where he is... Questioning God feels feels a little more relatable, doesn't he? All of a sudden, this most guy, and he has this encounter in Exodus chapter three and four. Uh, and you're maybe familiar with it if you're a, somebody who grew up in church. This burning bush moment. Do you, do you remember something like that? And he has this encounter with God, and he comes up to God, and, and God's speaking to him. And in this experience, Moses is saying a few things. There's at least five things he's saying that maybe again feel really relatable. Moses is saying something to God like God. I don't feel like I'm good enough. Anybody ever felt that before? He says, I, uh, I don't have all the answers. I say this every day of my life, right? Like, we, we get this one. Number three, he's saying, people aren't going to believe me. It, it won't feel believable for me. Number four, he says, I'm a terrible public speaker. Number five, he says, I'm not qualified. And what's so great about this story with Moses is there's this guy who I think is really relatable. I, I feel very much like all the senses we've just said about Moses all of them feel like they apply to my life. And Moses has all these questions for God, and then he meets God. And what's so neat about that passage is God doesn't answer all of those questions. God doesn't take all of his concerns and all his fears and one by one break them down. God says two things. Number one, he says to trust him. And then he says his name. And this is one of these crazy Bible moments where God says, my name is I am who I am. Do you remember this? We're going to talk about what that means a little bit later, but just consider for a moment God's call early to Moses. Trust me, I am who I am. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Luke 2. We're going to come back to Moses later. I'm Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here. Merry Christmas. What a joy to be with you guys this week. I hope you own a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I hope you bring it. I hope you'll turn with us to Luke 2. Our goal this morning is to take these 20 verses and go really carefully through them as best as we can in a short amount of time and understand them in context as the author intends that we would, uh, we would take God's word real seriously this morning. And I really believe, this is uh, real honest, this is my prayer last night in this room praying for you, is I really think God can do something really special in your life through a text that maybe you're really familiar with today. Would you be open to that? And would you just pray with me this morning? And, and even there, just to make sure we break down some church things, I don't mean right now, will you just listen to me pray? Will you join with me? Can we agree in praying some of the same things together? Will you all do that with me? Uh, God, we need you right now. Our, our hearts, I, I know that in this room collectively, uh, many of us know you, love you, trust you. Some of us are still questioning. Some of us are still trying to search and, 
and understand. God, I pray that for each of us in this moment and our hearts, that my prayer, that each of us, our prayer would be, God, speak to me and change me. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. God, would you use your word to speak to me and to each of my friends this morning, that through this Christmas story, um, that we would be able to be filled, as this song just sang, with wonder and awe because of your son and because of your great plan. We we trust you, God, and we love you. Amen. If you're in Luke 2, we're going we're to be going through these verses. I only have a couple of points this morning, too, for you. And uh, I hope you'll see them as we go through it. That this first one, for me, led to a thought I never really thought about, as we'll get to it in a little bit. And it's just talking about God's big plans and little moments. And we're going to go through uh, We're going to go through the first seven verses. Right here, I want to just go through the first six for a second. Let's read these. See if you see some of God's plan coming about. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, so that he was to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. If you've uh, read chapter 1, you know a little bit about some of that. Um, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I think one of the biggest things is going to be coming up in the next verse. We'll pause from where we are here. Uh, this is so, so neat. Luke writes this and uses a, a Latin title for Caesar Augustus. Just a small thing. They're just neat little things as you look at this. He doesn't want to use a title that's going to make you think that Caesar's the king. This is the guy who's become the Roman emperor in about 27 B.C., uh, and, and this guy, Luke, from the very beginning, doesn't want you to confuse who the king of the story that we're looking at is. It's not Caesar Augustus. There's some, some neat things. There's a census going on here. And we have a census coming up in 2020, right? And this census, it, this, is, this is a real neat thing. This is the first recorded one of this guy's reign. Quirinius, the name that just is casually mentioned here, just a senator who lived at the time. Uh, but under this guy's reign, this is Caesar Augustus's first time to say, I want to have a census. And a census in these days is for two reasons. Uh, and two reasons they want to do a census. You can probably guess what they are if you try to think back here. Reason number one, they want to gauge their military strength. So if we were to round up all of our people, probably specifically all of our men, how many would we have? How many, how many fighters and warriors would we have? So number one, he's thinking, what does this mean? I want to have a good depiction of our military strength. You get that? The second one is everybody's motivation in all world powers from the beginning of time, right? Money. And so he wants to figure out, I want to have a really good, accurate depiction of what our taxes should be. This makes sense, yeah? This guy's not thinking about Jesus. Caesar Augustus isn't. He's thinking about normal um, political strategies, right? This guy here. It's, it's a real neat thought. The second thing that comes up here, I, I, this is just a random thing for me. Maybe you grew up with really great Sunday school teachers who never, like, messed this up. For me, I grew up in my perception was always like Mary and Joseph barely get to Bethlehem in time and pops and there's a baby. That's, that's how I've always just imagined this thing. But that's not it here. We, we know from the previous chapter she's at least three months pregnant. And it just says, and while they were there. She could have been in here for a while. And that actually adds to some of the dynamics of this story. Because Mary, could, it may not be just as simple as she shows up and it's like the same thing for you. Like if you just randomly show up in a city, it wouldn't shock you. If you're like, can I get into this hotel? And they say, we're full. Do you have a reservation? No, I'm just here. 
That wouldn't shock you, right, if that, that moment happens. It's possible they've been here for weeks or maybe months, and that really adds to some of the dynamics of what's going on here. These are little things. There's some big things, though, that are going on here. Now, one of the big things that's happening is, if you're familiar with some Old Testament stuff that's happening, and in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, Micah 5, 2 is a prophecy from one of God's people saying, the Messiah is going to come through Bethlehem. You probably noticed in the story that it's read, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. That one's not new to you today, right? God's done something really amazing. There's, there's another amazing God pre-plans Bethlehem, but God also pre-plans that Joseph and Mary, when all this going on is going on, that they be in Nazareth together. So this is the city that they're going to come. God has worked out some pieces here. And, and here's one that really comforts my heart, particularly, is God has pre-planned this census so as to align not just the millions of people into their correct spots, but so as to align two people so as to have this one baby in the right spot. And I'm comforted to remember that God has big plans that are seen in the moving of global powers and political shifts, and as nations rise and fall, God's hand is clearly seen in them, right? Isn't that comforting if for you maybe you're bothered by political things, or you're bothered by global events, or you're bothered by national issues? If you're bothered by those things, doesn't it help you for a moment to pause and say, hang on, God uses global workings for small things, for his big plan. Do you see that in this text? For, for me, that encourages me a ton. And then look at verse 7. Verse 7, I, I'm just, I'm boggled by it. And it's not new to you. Verse 7 says, And she, speaking of Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I, uh, I love verse 7. I, first of all, I love swaddling babies. My wife has told me I'm good at swaddling babies. And so if you need me to help swaddle a baby, I really like the, the taco approach, the burrito approach. Like, I think it's great fun. I love that. Um, but that's not why I love this verse. Uh, this verse feels real unfitting for the king of the world. Doesn't it? Uh, try, try to take off the fact that however old, many years old you are, so if you're 20 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, fill in the blank. For 20 years, for 40 years, for 60 years, I've always known Jesus was born in a manger, so that's not a shock for you. Try to take that off for a second and recognize this is not fitting for the king of the world. And I, I want to speculate for a second, so I'm openly saying, what I'm about to say is not in the Bible. I'm just taking some guesses, okay? I want to guess for a moment that Mary probably has some real prayers coming during this time when she's trying to have a baby. I'm going to guess, this is my guess, that Mary prays something like, Dear God, let there be a hospital. That kind of thing, right? That doesn't feel like an absurd prayer that she would have prayed then, right? Doesn't that feel impossible? And I want to just ask a question, just for a point. We're just making a point here. We're not finding that particular prayer in the Bible, okay? But just for a point, is there anything wrong, if that's something she prayed, is there anything wrong with Mary saying, Dear God, please let there be a hospital or a doctor? Or at least a clean room, privately, without animals. Are any of those things are any of those things wrong for her to pray? What do you think? I don't think so. I don't know the answer to it. I, I don't. It doesn't seem wrong. I don't have anything going off in my head saying that feels wrong for her to be praying. And there's something so cool happening here, and it leads to a thought that's new to me. Maybe it's not new to you, but the thought that's new to me this week is this: God's big plans. And him knowing ultimately where Jesus' end target is. 
Tyler said it just a moment ago in the middle of a song where Tyler said, this Jesus that we're singing about Christmas, born to die, right? You know that expression. He's born for the cross moment. Here's the, the big idea that's new for me, is that perhaps if we're over here and this is the beginning of Jesus' life, a manger scene, and over there is the cross, perhaps God realized this, that for Jesus to do anything other for God to answer the prayer that Mary might have, God, let there be a hospital, would be a step off of the road to the cross. Maybe see this for a second. So in 2 Corinthians 8 9, we'll, we'll put this verse on the screen. This is Paul writing about, about Jesus. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, spiritually rich, and he also has everything he's got, yet for your sake, oh, that's good, like for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God cares about one thing more than anything in the world. And this one's hard, like if we're selfish people and we're coloring this story with our selfishness. God cares about his glory in the universe, that he would be lifted up as the name above all other names. That's what God wants the most, okay? And God sees his story. Here's like a real obvious thought. I personally don't think, my name is Nick Feldman, nice to meet you. I don't think Nick Feldman's story is anywhere near as big of a deal in God's story as Mary's part, right? You would agree with me. Mary's a bigger deal than you, Nick, right? Yeah? That's great. You know, it's fine. I'm okay. Um, Mary's part in this story is more significant than mine. And if we just zoom into Mary saying, dear God, I want a hospital or a clean room or anything, something. If we're just thinking her story, then we might say, oh yeah, that would make a lot of sense. She should have a hospital. She's one of baby her clean space privately, right? That, that makes sense for us. But what we learn in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, what we learn actually throughout the context of the Bible, is that God cares more about his story, the big perspective here. And so Mary getting what she wants of being able to have room in that innkeeper would be a step off of her road to the cross. It'd be a step off of Jesus' road to the cross. Do you see this? Does that make sense? Because what God cares about is this opportunity to be able to show that he, the perfect Savior, lowers himself, takes on everything for you and for me. And that's how the gospel comes about. We're going to talk about the gospel a little bit. Some really good news that we have this morning. And, and the big plan that applies to you and me, there's a, a verse that's just throws in your head. I've done this tangent before with you. I've chased this goose before. There's a, a verse in Revelation 13, verse 8, that reminds me that God's plan from the beginning of time has always been a lamb who would be slain. God's plan from the beginning has always involved suffering, okay? And so here's what my prayer last night, last night I'm in this room by myself, uh, except, well, I'm not by myself, my five-year-old's in the room, Summer, she's back there crawling under your tears, and uh, my prayer for you yesterday in this room would be that for you and for me, that we as a church family, as a church body, that we would be the kind of people that have this perspective right here that's really hard. Your prayer might be for something good. And even if you ask me, I would probably say, yeah, that seems like a good thing to pray. And say, God, I want this thing in my life to be nicer. And perhaps his answer in something, no, that would be a step off of your path to the cross for your life, relative to his story. Does that make sense? That if your prayer is, God, I just want this thing to quit being so uncomfortable, so unpleasant. God, I, I, maybe it's just real good things you're praying. I, I want this relationship to be fixed. I want them to forgive me. Whenever I apologize, I want them to apologize so I can forgive them. I want this thing that's broken. I want a doctor. I want a hospital. Maybe it's the same thing as Mary. Maybe it's really a physical thing. 
And maybe God answers that prayer exactly how you want it. And if he doesn't, would you and I be the kind of people who are able to have perspective that's seen right here in the manger and say, if God says no, perhaps that's God keeping me from stepping off of my path to the cross. Does that make sense? That's my, that's my prayer for you and for me, that you and I would be able to have that kind of perspective. We're going to keep going to our second thought, and this is just because I like using alliteration. So second thought, three R's, ready? What's the right response for us in all of this? Point two is rejoice. The right response is to rejoice. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. Here we go. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're going to pause for a second. Verses 8 through 11 give you part of the answer. They say how to not have a right response. Our response to Jesus and Christmas ought not to be, did you see the weird word? It says blank not. It was fear. Fear not. Our response is to not be Fear, even though that word would be so natural for us to feel. I, I have um, three kids, one, three, and five. There's their ages. And uh, so my one-year-old, even last night, uh, I got to experience this. My one-year-old Silas, so happy in a dark room. He's not scared of that at all. He's so fine being in a dark room. Maybe, maybe your kids were like that for a moment. My five-year-old, zoom out, we were in this room. I thought it'd be funny to turn off the lights and then make some loud sounds. She didn't, right? She didn't think that was funny in this room. Uh, sorry, man, I didn't tell my wife I did that. Uh, like, like, uh, like, I thought that was funny, and Summer didn't think it was funny. She learned at an early age to be scared of something, right? We learned this early. My one-year-old Silas, yesterday, he's on the couch with me, and he uh, drops something, and he backwards goes to get it, and has no fear at all, because he knows, like, I'm just catching him, holding him while he gets this thing that he's gotten. I dip him back onto the couch, right? There's, there's the boy. Summer, if I'm holding her and I even just like shift an arm, she's like clinging on for dear life. And I don't know where she learns. I'm assuming in my head that my wife dropped her and never told her. <laughs> that, that she's never told me. But my assumption is that, like that's how Summer learned that somebody's dropped her before. We are so naturally inclined to fear. And these angels are saying, fear not. And you're a careful thinker. And so if somebody says, fear not, you say what a five-year-old says. Why? Why should I not fear? And the angels answer that. Fear not, for behold, Jesus is here. And this is the beginning of the story, the manger moment, right? Fear not, because Jesus is here. You want to skip to the end of it? What does Jesus say at the end of his life? And fear not, why? For I am with you, always, forever. I'll be with you. That's, a, that's why tomorrow evening service, Tuesday's services, uh, that's why they matter to us so much. That's why we ask you to... If you have some people in your life who don't know the Lord or, or just need an opportunity for some hope, that you would go out of your way to invite them to come. Pastor Jerry's got to share with me some of what he's talking about tomorrow night and Tuesday. And we're talking about that idea right there. That in the middle of all the loneliness and hopelessness that you and I experience, that Jesus is here with us. And we can find comfort in a friend, the Son of God. Right? I hope you, I hope you come to Christmas Eve. It's going to be really great. So fear not, for I'm with you. Let's go to verse 12 through 14. It says this, 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, and you'll be lying in a manger. And suddenly, you see the drama of what happens. I love it. Suddenly, there was an angel. There was one angel. Now suddenly, with the angel, there's a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and they're singing, 